0: Hi, this is Edwin Crozier of the Franklin Church of Christ, here with you again to take a look at God's Word. There are few things more important to us than family. Regrettably, there are also few things that we devote as little attention to as family. We often take family for granted, devoting our attention to all manner of other issues first. That being the case, many Christian families look about the same as non-Christian families. Let's change all that by getting into God's Word and finding out what our families need in order to stand out and be different, in order to be used by God to accomplish great things for His kingdom. Join me as we open God's Word and learn what our families need today. When God developed a plan to save all of mankind, He began by choosing out one family. We know the story of Abram and Sarai found in the book of Genesis. And yet, who would have thought that so much could have come and so much eternal impact could have been made by an aged, childless couple. And yet, through this couple, one of the greatest nations to have ever been on the earth came into being. More importantly than that, through this couple, a Savior came into our world. But we fast forward now to our families. And we take a look at ourselves, and often we look at our families, whether we have children or not, whatever the situation is, and we just can't possibly imagine that God could ever use our family for anything great. But I want you to understand that God can, in fact, use your family for something great. He can use our families for something amazing within His kingdom. Just as He used Abram and Sarai. The problem is that for that to happen, we've got to stand out a little. We've got to be different. God chose Abram and Sarai because Abram and Sarai stood out among all the people. Regrettably, however, that today, Christian families often do not look any different than worldly families. You remember Romans chapter 12 and verse 2? In Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, the Bible says, "...do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good..." and acceptable, and perfect. Just as we as individual Christians must stand out and be unconformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds, so must we as Christian families stand out, not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our minds. We've got to be different. We have to be families that God is willing to use. With that in mind, I'd like for us to ask a simple question. What do our families need today? To be families that God can use to accomplish amazing things in His kingdom, in this world, what do our families need? There are five things that I hope we will notice. Before we examine those things, however, would you pray God's blessings upon us and what we're doing here today with me? God and Father in heaven, we humble ourselves before you. We recognize that there is nothing that we can do without You. We recognize that there is nothing as a congregation, nothing as individuals, and nothing as families that we can accomplish without Your blessing, without Your mercy and Your grace. Father, we pray that Your hand will be with us, that we will glorify and honor You, that we'll spread Your gospel to the masses, that others will be brought into Your family. We pray especially at this time that You be with us as we open Your Word to study and understand what we need for our families today. I pray that Your hand would be with me. Help me to have the proper attitude. Help me, Father, to forgive me for any situations or issues with which I have the wrong attitude. Help me to overcome that and preach humbly, focusing folks toward You. Father, I pray that You be with all of us, that our hearts will be turned to Your Word, that even in the hard things that we learn about our families, that we'll be willing to submit to what You have to say about us and our families, that we can glorify and honor You and that You can use us. Father... It's not that we desire to be great or to be used for anything great. We simply want to be Your tools that You can use in whatever way You desire. Help us to live with that in mind. Forgive us for what we've done wrong. Defeat us in our plans that do not glorify You. Help us to learn from the mistakes that we've made and to grow so that we can be greater servants of Yours. Go with us throughout the remainder of our time here as a congregation worshiping You. And we pray, Father, that everything we do will please You. We'll honor and praise Your name because we recognize, Father, that You are the one who is worthy. To You belong glory and dominion eternally and forever. Through Your Son's holy name we pray. Amen. What do our families need today? The very first thing that our families need today is we need God to build our homes. Psalm 127 and verse 1 is perhaps the most important passage in all of Scripture when it comes to your family. In Psalm 127, beginning at verse 1, the Bible reads, "...unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, To eat the bread of painful labors, for he gives to his beloved, even in his sleep. Do you know anybody in this situation? Who arises early, who retires late, eating the bread of painful labors in their family? Imagine this scenario. Dad is working overtime or perhaps two jobs. Mom is not only doing the home thing, but she's actually gone out in the work world just trying to make ends meet. They've got to pay for the house and the two cars and the computer and that last vacation they took. In addition to that, you've got junior and sis, very active. They play baseball and softball and volleyball and basketball. They're in the school play in Girl Scouts and Boy Scouts. They're in all kinds of clubs, and they're both in the band. Junior plays the drums, Sissy plays the flute. But they're three years apart, and so their concerts are never at the same time. In addition to that, mom and dad are both Christians, and they want the children to become Christians too, and so they really try very hard to make sure they're making it to church and to Bible class and to get all their lessons done. Anybody know families like that? Anybody sometimes feel like they're a family like that? I'm really glad that they're Christians and that they're wanting their children to grow up to be Christians and that they're getting them to church as often as possible. But my question is, how many of the families that find themselves in this situation are arising early, retiring late, eating the bread of painful labors, but the Lord is still not building their home? Do they invite the Lord to build their home? And then do they let Him do it? When He comes in. How would we invite the Lord to build our home? Through prayer. Remember Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20? While this passage is not specifically about families, it applies to what we're talking about. In Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20 it says, Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to Him be the glory in the church in Christ Jesus all generations forever and ever. To Him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all that we ask or think. He can use our families to do anything that we ask or think. And beyond what we ask or think. Abundantly beyond what we ask or think. Exceedingly, abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. But look at where it has to begin. We've got to ask. We've got to think. Do we invite God into our families? In the midst of all these things that we're doing, in the midst of going all these different directions, and I'm not saying that all of that is wrong. Perhaps it is wise for us to cut back on some of that. My question is just, whether we're doing that or whatever else we're doing in our families, are we inviting God to build our homes? Because He can do it even in our sleep. And when we're done inviting Him, do we let Him? How can we let God build our homes? Look in Psalm 119, verse 105. Psalm 119, verse 105. Many of you may have this verse memorized. Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your Word is a lamp to my feet And a light to my path. You want God to build your home? You want to let Him? Invite Him. And then get into the Word and do what it says. Let it guide you. He'll give you wisdom through His Word. And He'll build your home. We need God to build our homes. Otherwise, everything else we do is destined for failure. It doesn't matter what else you're doing or what other kind of success people in the world might attribute to you and your family. If in our families we are not inviting God in to build and letting Him build, then our family is still a dysfunctional failure. But when God is there and He is working His way because we're praying and studying, and learning, and applying. And no matter what anybody else thinks, God's building an excellent family. What else do we need? We need fathers who will lead. We need husbands who will lead. The passage that helps us understand the husband's role can be found in Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians chapter 5, Verse 23, the Scripture there says, "...for the husband is head of the wife, as Christ also is head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be their husbands in everything." Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself up for her, so that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, that He might present to Himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of His body. The husband, the father is the head of the family, as Christ is the head of the church. Regrettably, however, husbands and fathers, too often we look at this passage as though what it says is the rest of the family has been given to us to live at our beck and call and to accomplish our every whim and least desire. And that's not what it says. What it says is, we are the leaders. And that implies some things. It does not imply that everyone else is there to do our wishes. I want you to notice what this passage actually says. Four things about leadership. Number one, leadership entails love. First Corinthians chapter 13 describes the kind of love that we're all supposed to have. It is needed no place greater than in our families by the leaders in the family. It says in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 4, Love is patient. Love is kind. is not jealous. Love does not brag. And is not arrogant. Love does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, it is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. There's the definition of the love husbands and fathers that we are supposed to have in our families. But Paul, in Ephesians chapter five, Not only defined it, He exemplified it. He showed us the example for the kind of love we're supposed to have as leaders in our homes. There in verse 25 of Ephesians 5, Jesus said, "...Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself up for her." This love is personal sacrifice. Do we love our families like this, guys? Are we willing to give ourselves up for our wives and for our children? We must not kid ourselves. How can we say that we would die for our wives if we're not living for them? How can we say that we would take a bullet for our wives if we won't even take the trash out for them? How can we say that we would give up everything for our wives and our children if we won't even give up our favorite TV show for them. This is love when you're a leader. That's not all that's entailed in leadership. When we talk about leadership, we're talking about going somewhere. Jesus' as head of the church was taking us somewhere. It says there in verse 26, so that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word. Where is Jesus taking His church? To sanctification, to salvation. He's taking the church to heaven. And guys, that's our job as leaders in the home. We're supposed to be taking our families to heaven. Do you give thought to that? There are so many things we give thought to. We give thought to our financial future. We give thought to where we want our kids to go to college. We give thought to the big house we want to buy or the nice car we want to get. But do we think about the fact that we're supposed to be leading our families not to the house on the hill, not to an Ivy League school, but to heaven. There will come a day, brethren, when that will be all that matters to you. But on that day, it'll be too late. We're supposed to be taking our families somewhere. We've got to be thinking about that and taking them there every day. Closer and closer to the goal of heaven. When we look at the leadership that we find here, we recognize that there is responsibility involved. Far too often we think about rights. Well, I'm the head. That means everybody owes me. No. I'm the head. That means I owe them. I am responsible for this family. Notice in verse 27 it says of Jesus that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. You see, brethren, as Christians, excuse me, as those in the world, we had a problem. Sin. And the condemnation that comes with that. But Jesus didn't sit up in heaven wringing His hands and standing around the water fountain complaining to the angels at work about how bad we down here are. Oh, if I could only get them to straighten up, everything would be alright. He took responsibility. And He gave the sacrifice that we might be changed. Brethren, it's time that in our homes we stop passing the buck. If there are problems in our families, men, it is our responsibility. The buck stops with us. And it's not our duty to stand around the water fountain with the guys and complain about our wives and our children no matter what kind of problems they might have. Our responsibility is to sacrifice ourselves and change ourselves that our families might grow and to help our wives and children grow, just as Jesus did. That is our responsibility. That's leadership. And finally, leadership means providing needs. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 28, He said, "...so husbands ought also to love their own lives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ha- ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church." Our job is to provide those physical and emotional needs that our wives and our children have. You remember Luke chapter 22 and verse 26? Luke chapter 22 and verse 26. But it is not this way with you, but the one who is the greatest among you must become like the youngest and the leader like the servant. We need husbands who will lead like this in our families today. Loving our families... Taking them to heaven, accepting the responsibility, and providing what is needed in the family. That's what we need today. But in addition, we need wives and mothers who will support, who will help. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, I believe we find the defining verse about the role of the wife in the home. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, the scripture there says. It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Proverbs chapter 31 and verse 10 says it this way. Proverbs 31 and beginning in verse 10. An excellent wife who can find for her worth is far above jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She's a helper. She's a support. But that's not what we want in our society today. In our society today, instead of a helper, we've got competitors in the home, we've got wars you remember the song, Anything You Can Do, I Can Do Better? I Can Do Anything Better Than You. Yes, I Can. No, You Can't. Yes, I Can. You know that song? That's the theme song for families today. It's all about trying to prove who's better instead of about trying to help and honor. All about trying to accomplish the goal of getting to heaven. Working together to do so. And in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33, the Scripture there says, Nevertheless, each individual among you also it is, is to love his own wife. We talked about that. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. To help and support with respect, with honor. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 1 says this. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 1. The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tears it down with her own hands. We need wives who will support and who will build along with their husbands and their children to build up the family and build up its ability to serve God and be used by Him. A couple of passages that specifically describe what, what God expects from wives and mothers in the home, you can look in 1 Timothy. First Timothy chapter five and verse fourteen says, "Therefore, I want younger widows." First Timothy five and verse fourteen, I want younger widows to get married, their children keep house, and give the enemy no occasion for reproach. The New American Standard perhaps doesn't do this justice. The King James and New King James others talk about managing the home, guiding the home. The actual word translated here. Are you ready for this? Oikodespoteo. Have you ever heard the word despot? You know what a despot is? A ruler. We often use it negatively to talk about a tyrant. You're not allowed to be tyrants in your home, sisters. However, oikodespoteo means house ruler, not house servant. House ruler a guide, a manager. That term was used to describe a steward in the home. This is what Joseph was called in Potiphar's house. If they had spoken Greek, he would have been an oikodespateo. He would have been a guide, a ruler, a manager of the house. Why That's your job? To manage and rule that house. Make sure it works properly. That includes finances. That includes behavior. That includes all manner of things. To govern and rule that house. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, verse 5. As the older women had encouraged the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children. Verse 5, it says, to be sensible, pure workers at home. I believe the King James says keepers at home. The idea there is a guard of the home. It's the wife's responsibility to guard the purity of that home and to make sure that home is free of evil influences as much as she possibly can. That's her job. And guys, we need to let them have that job because let's face it, they're better at it than we are. Sometimes our perception about what's okay is a little bit skewed. We need to let our wives guide and guard the home. And wives, we need you to guard our homes. But I recognize that some wives are, are plagued with husbands that aren't interested in getting their family to heaven. They're plagued with husbands that, that aren't interested in doing God's will or glorifying Him. You need to remember what First Peter chapter 3, beginning at verse 1 says, in verse Peter chapter 3, beginning at verse 1, In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. if the husband won't lead as he's supposed to, it's not the wife's job to try to take over. It's the wife's job to still be a support, to live chastely, to submit to the Lord. And just as we told the husband moments ago that if you have problems, they're not allowed to go around the water fountain and complain and whine and moan and blame everything on you, same thing here. Don't get to call up your friends and complain about what a rotten louse your husband is, even though we probably are. Instead, respect, honor, submit to God, live chastely. Provide an example for us to follow. And as the guard and ruler of the home, lead your kids to heaven as best you can. That's the job. That's what our homes need today. That's what our families need today. If We're going to be families that God can use to accomplish great things. Fourth, we need children who are being trained. I know you thought what I was going to have there is we need children who obey and honor their parents, and we certainly need that. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 1, says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. We need that from our children today. Our families need that. But here's the problem. Most of you, some of you are guests, most of you here know Ryan, right? Does Ryan know that he's supposed to obey and honor me? For those of you who don't know, Ryan's two and a half years old. He doesn't know that. How's he going to learn it? I have to train him. And it's extremely hard for me to sit back and tell children, here's what we're supposed to have from you. I can't do that. It's the parent's job to train the children. Here's what we're supposed to have for me. And so what we need are parents who will train their children. Think of one time when I was really proud of Marita. I'm often very proud of her. Not nearly as much as it ought to be. But I remember one time we were dealing, this was back in Texas with Tessa. She was a couple years old. She kept running the auditorium, and she wasn't supposed to do that. This was while we were there working on classes or something. The kids were supposed to stay out of the auditorium. And so Tessa ran in there, and Rita grabbed her and spanked her. And evidently, one of the other children's parents had talked about us spanking our kids in front of their kids because this child, who was only four years old, I know wouldn't have thought of this on their own, said, she doesn't know she's not supposed to go in there. And Rita responded, I know she doesn't. That's why I'm training her. And that's what we need in our families. We know our kids don't know what they're supposed to do. That's why we train them. That's what our families need. Look in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now remember, of course, mothers, you're supposed to be the helper in the home, so this applies to you as well. Bring up those children. That word is the idea of getting them to maturity. The battle cry from parents today is, let your kids be kids. But that's not what this verse says. This verse says, bring your kids up. They're not supposed to remain kids. They're growing physically. You've got to grow them mentally and emotionally and spiritually. Bring them up to maturity. Don't let them remain kids. We all know this. How many times have you ever gone up to a child and said, You are so awesome, you act just like all the other kids your age? Have you ever said that to a child? I bet you've said this or heard this said, though. I, you are awesome. Because you are beyond your years. You ever said that to a child? Have you ever heard that said? Because you know what, deep down inside, no matter what we want to do when the heat is on, we realize that the job is to get the kids to grow up. To train them and develop them and help them beyond where they are today. I'm not asking you to expect a two and a half year old or a five year old or even a ten year old to be a thirty year old. All I'm saying is, we're supposed to challenge them and push them beyond where they are now so that they'll grow and develop that's what we need in families I want to share something with you that concerns me and I hope that I have the ability to express this in a way that comes out clearly without just upsetting everybody But I think I can say this because I haven't been here long enough to really know anything about what you guys have done in your homes, but I have been able to see Christians in general in a lot of places and seeing kids growing up enough that it's caused me concern. Because you remember Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6? Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, he will not depart from it. I understand that this is a maxim. This is a general truth. What this means is not that it will always happen this way. This doesn't mean that I can pull this verse out and go to your home and say, if your kids aren't faithful when they're older, that means you absolutely did something wrong. It doesn't say that. But it is a general truth. That means it is normally true. Most of the time, if we raise up our kids in the way they should go, what will they do when they're old? They'll follow that way. Sometimes they won't. Maybe mine won't. Maybe yours won't. I know there are going to be exceptions, but generally, this is the way it ought to happen. So then when we look across the brotherhood and we look across churches, what should we see generally happening if parents are generally raising their kids in the way they should go? What we should see generally happening is that when kids get up and get out of the house, they're faithful to the Lord. Generally. There'll be exceptions, I know that, but generally, most of them ought to be faithful to the Lord, right? Because according to Proverbs 22, six, if we raise our kids the way they're supposed to go, most of them will do it. Why is it then? That my good friend David Banning, who writes awesome Bible class material for junior high and high school age, who is an awesome Bible class teacher, he's a great father, and yet with all his study in that says that basically among Christians, 50%, only 50%, one out of two, half, when they leave home, leave the church. Now remember, if we are in general raising our kids in the way they're supposed to go, then most of them ought to be going that way when they leave home. Why is it then that when so many of our kids leave home, they're abandoning God's Word of truth about His church? And if they go to church at all, they, have, they go to churches with fun and games and college groups and, 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 and trips and all that kind of entertaining stuff. Why is that happening? I know I can't say anything from this verse to you specifically as individual parents, but let's face it, when we have a general trend that's not following this verse, this says something about our families and what we need today. We've got to improve training our kids and bringing them up to maturity in general. And it's not that, oh, I know there are five families here that need to do this. Every family here has got to do this. And the final thing that we need for our families today are churches that strengthen. We need churches that will strengthen the family and bring it together. We need churches that will stand up and teach the truth on the permanence of marriage. Matthew chapter 19. Remember in Matthew chapter 19, the Pharisees asked, is it alright to get a divorce? And Jesus said in Matthew 19:6, so they're no longer two but one flesh. What God has joined together, let no man separate. We've got to have churches that will stand up and teach that. We've got to have churches that will turn to Ephesians 5 and, and the other books in the Bible and say here are what the roles are. Here's what we're supposed to be doing in our families. We need churches that will stand for that. But we need more than just churches that will bring verbalize the doctrinal truth. We need churches that will actually strengthen the family and when they conduct things that the church does, it needs to do things that strengthen the family. I want to share with you another thing that concerns me. And I am just as much a part of this system, I've been as much a part of this system as anybody else. But one of the things that is beginning to concern me, and I just want to share it with you this morning to get your thoughts about it, we can talk about it more, But one of the things I see happening today in churches is that more and more we're looking to the denominational model about how to strengthen the family. And so what do we do? Why? We don't want to go to promise keepers because we know they teach things that are wrong. But what we really need is good men's groups that are going to make our men be good husbands and fathers. And we're not going to run Mother's Day out programs because the church isn't supposed to be a nursery school, but we need good women's groups that will teach our wives to be good wives and good mothers. And of course, we're not going to do the... I was about to say Opryland trip. I forgot Opryland's closed. Uh, We've got to do Disney World trips or or whatever kind of trips that we might have for our young people. What we need is just really good youth groups so that we can teach our kids to grow up and be mature. But here's the problem I have. Remember that example, family, we talked about at the very beginning of our sermon? What was the number one problem they had? they were all going 50 different directions. They were subdivided and split up and running from here to there and trying to get so many things done. And then they come to a church and what are so many of our churches doing? We're saying, alright, uh, Jimmy, we've got our men's group on Tuesday night. Gail, we've got our women's group on such and such night. Tessa, we've got our kids' things happening. When do we do things for families to come together and be families worshiping God. About the only thing we do is this congregational assembly. And I even know preachers that one of their number one goals is to get all the kids to sit separately off in one part of the building. I'm not saying that all those things are wrong. I like men's groups. I like women's groups. There's a part of me that likes the idea of all the kids sitting together. I mean, Tess is sitting down here with somebody other than me. But it just concerns me. I'm becoming more and more convinced that we don't need another youth group. We need family groups. We don't need a teen weekend. We need a family weekend. What are some things we can do as a church to strengthen the family and bring it back together instead of continuing the problem of dividing it up? Maybe we can continue to have men's groups. I love that. How about instead of just men's groups, we have father-son groups? And no matter how old our sons are and whether they're Christians or not, we expect them to come along and listen and pay attention. How about instead of women's groups, we have mother-daughter groups? How about in our Bible classes, sometime sometimes taking a quarter where we set up a class for parents and children, no matter what the age of the children is, to come in and sit down and discuss something together? I bet the children could learn a lot from listening to adults discuss the Bible. Maybe we could have family study groups that when we come together in somebody's home, instead of taking the kids and sending them off to the playroom so they'll get out of our hair, we start teaching them to sit still and listen to us talk about God's Word, to sing with us and to pray with us. We've got a great opportunity this afternoon. We've got the the prayer meeting this afternoon at 5 o'clock. We divide that up, men and women. The reason we do that is because we want to allow women the opportunity to verbalize prayer without any concern about usurping authority. I'm just going to ask, how many of you haven't come because you said, well, I've got kids? Ladies, bring your daughters in there. Husbands, bring your sons in there. These are just some things I think we need to be doing to get our families together, worshiping and serving God. Let me just ask you, how many times, other than this hour, do your kids actually see you worshiping and serving God with other Christians? Bible class doesn't count because they're down there with just a bunch of other kids and one or two adults that are just teaching them. How many times do our families come together? I don't know, maybe I'm all wet. Maybe the youth group Promise Keepers model is what we need to be doing to strengthen our families. I'm sure there are some things, I know there are some things that can help with. But the more I see it, the less convinced I am that it's going to work over the long haul. We need churches that strengthen the family and bring it together, not continue the great divide. What do our families need? Families need God to build the home. Our families need husbands who will lead, wives who will support, children who are being trained up and brought to maturity in churches that will strengthen. That's what we need. And when we follow that pattern, God can, and let me guarantee to you, He will use your family. He will use you to glorify and honor Him, doing exceedingly, abundantly beyond all you could think or ask. I want to thank you for joining us at the Franklin Church of Christ in the study of God's Word. I hope it has helped you look at your family and consider some ways to grow in Christ. Let's remember what our families need today. They need one to be built by God. Two, husbands who lead and love. Three. Wives who support and help. Four, children who are being trained up to maturity. And five, churches that empower and strengthen the family together. If you've been given this lesson by a friend, please feel free to check out our website and download numerous lessons on a variety of topics. You can study these lessons in manuscript or in audio form. Our website is www.franklinchurchofchrist.com. If you have any questions about the family, about your role in the family, or about the Franklin Church of Christ, please contact us by calling 615-794-2359 or contact us through our website. Again, it's franklinchurchofchrist.com. Thank you, and may God richly bless you as you draw closer to Him. More importantly, may you richly bless God.